And lately I've been um, moved, impressed upon me, is this idea that when Jesus gets upset in the New Testament about worship, he'll say, he'll say my Father's house is a house of prayer. And we uh, do so well, and this is not just a CCC thing, this is every Western civilization church. We do a great job of programming the service. From beginning to end, we push play, and it goes an hour and ten minutes, hour and five minutes. And uh, even the best churches, uh, they, they get it so it's like, it's almost like you're watching Netflix, right? Like you're a spectator. I, a, fr- a friend and I, and I went to uh, a large church uh, in Metro Detroit a couple years ago. It was his first experience there. And he said, it's kind of like Christian entertainment. He's like, I, might, I mean, they, they even had cup holders for their coffee. And uh, he's like, I might as well have had popcorn. You know, and... and uh, and so, so much so that now people will follow online. We post our sermons online after the fact, but a lot of services uh, at churches around the country, they just have it online. People like to go to Bedside Baptist with Pastor Sheets and uh, just turn the tablet on or the phone on or whatever it is, and, and that's their form of worship. That's how we are starting to do this. And, and I've been kind of moved lately that our services shouldn't be so scripted. That doesn't mean I didn't write a sermon. That's not what that means. But we shouldn't just push play and go. There should be moments of reflection. There should be interaction. If I am coming to worship, I want I want to come and worship. If I'm coming to a house of prayer, I want to pray. You see what I'm saying? And so today, I'm going to ask you to take a chance with me on uh, a different kind of sermon. What we're going to do is I've... Um, I, I was working on the sermon, and it went in a lot of different directions, and so I uh, have basically put together three what I'll call sermonettes, a three-pack, if you will, uh, all kind of together, but all their own separate things. And so after each one, what I'd like to do is give you the freedom to reflect. And so each one, this is not three 20-minute sermons, don't worry, you're like, well, how long are we here? Um six, seven minutes on each sermon. And at the end of each sermon, um, I want there to be some space for you. And so maybe you got a bulletin when you came in. There's pens in the in the uh, benches there. Uh, maybe it's a thing where you just want to reflect. Maybe it's a thing where you need to pray after maybe that particular sermon that strikes you and so you want to talk to God and, that, and that's that. Maybe you're someone, and let me just give you this freedom because some people do this. Maybe you're someone who likes your phone and you're an Instagrammer, you're a Twitterer, you're a Facebooker, you're something like that. And maybe there's a verse that you're like, ooh, this is something that's moving me. I should share this. There's a quote I should just, like, if that's your reflection to a spiritual truth that hits you, I want to give you freedom to do that. This, the, I will always say this, the altars are open if at some point, if, if one of these sermonettes, if you feel like I need to just get away from everybody sitting around me, not because of the smell, but because I just need my space and I need to kneel before God in this thing. I want to give you freedom to do that. And so today's sermon will be three with some space in between. I believe that in the spaces, that's where God moves, right? When we create space, he fills it with something potentially holy. So we're going to take a chance on a sermon-ish today. Are you guys good with this? Okay, all right. You don't really have a choice, but I just wanted to make sure you were good with it. And um, so I we're gonna we're gonna park in Genesis two today. Oh, there's no light over here, so I'm gonna here we go. All right. We're gonna park in Genesis chapter two. 
Uh, if you have your Bibles and you don't know where that is, it's probably page three. In Genesis, there is these uh, two parallel accounts of the creation story. The first is a poem that has stanzas and groove, and we've talked about that over and over. The second is a little more personal with humankind and Adam. That's where we're basing out of, and that's where this whole sermon was. When we, when this did before this was a three pack, that's where the sermon was going to be, and we'll end there. But that's the base. But I really, as I started to study it, went down these rabbit holes, and no pun intended, but about gardening, about growing stuff. Um, recently, I was at home with my wife, and um, my wife and I got married three years ago, and uh, she had owned a home, and so uh, I moved in. So I didn't really get a choice in the house. I just got a choice in the spouse. And uh, so that's uh, where I live now, and we live together, and in the, in the house where we live has lots of old, huge trees uh, around our house. And many of the trees have dead limbs, and some of the limbs are still attached. So occasionally, just a big limb just falls, which is not safe or awesome in any way. Um, but it, 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 and it's a little frustrating because when it becomes a yard cleanup time every year, like some people have to rake a little bit. We have to basically pull in a giant, you know, a thousand vacuums to clean the place up. It's, uh, it's just what it is. And one day recently we were sitting in the living room just watching the office like we do. And all of a sudden we heard like a thunk. It sounded like a, a body landed on our roof and went outside and a large rim, a limb had fallen, just fallen off of this at, it, with no strong winds or heavy rain, it just decided this was its time. And it just fell and scared the heck out of us. And it's just, uh, I, sometimes I find myself frustrated by the trees that surround our house. It's like extra work. It's, ex, it's just, we're surrounded. And it, in that frustration, I think back to uh, growing up. I grew up on... Uh, on M15 in Otisville, Michigan, 45 minutes north of here. My, uh, my parents still live in that same house today. And when I was about 10 years old, my dad bought trees to plant in our yard. But when he bought them, as a, my 10-year-old brain, I'm like, that's not a tree, that's a, that's a twig. right? Like He brought them home from wherever he got them from, and he planted them uh, strategically around the yard. And they were about this high with no real buds on it and maybe one or two branches coming off it. It looked like a twig, like that someone just shoved in the ground. And there was probably 15 of them. And sometimes my responsibility as the son was to get on the riding lawnmower and uh, mow our lawn. And when I came up to one of these trees, you know, anytime you can be riding lawnmower, you got to go around the tree. But some of these, I just, I was 10 years, I was a 10 year old. I'm not, I'm kind of careless. And so I would start to go around it, but the wheel would clip the twig, and it would snap, and my dad would yell at me, and I'd have to be more careful, and I wasn't more careful, and of those trees, many of them did not make it because of my carelessness. There was one in the corner, far corner of our yard, that I had somehow managed to not run over with the riding lawnmower in the first two years, and it started to get substantial, and I was probably my height, started to get some branches, and if I hit it with the lawnmower, then the lawnmower would have an issue, so uh, couldn't do that anymore. 
And now, when I go back to visit my folks, they have a young family that lives nearby. And uh, one of the last couple of years when I went home, the kid was out and they had raked, you know, it was it's our tree or my parents' tree, but the leaves are on their yard. Don't you love that as neighbors? Right? We have a neighbor. Hey, he won't listen to this online. We have a neighbor who, because we have so many leaves at, at Michelle and I's house, he actually puts up like a fence and like garbage bag. Like he doesn't want his, you don't come on my side. He, he built that wall. That's what he did. So, um, so those leaves were in their yard, but I came to visit my folks and there were, they had raked the leaves in their yard and their kids were jumping in the, you know, like kids love big piles of leaves, even though there's probably not great things in them. They love just getting in there. Right. And I just had to reflect like that was a twig. That was a twig that I narrowly missed with the lawnmower at least a dozen times when I was 10 years old. And now there's an eight year old who's just loving that tree. I think later on I saw one of the kids, I don't know how old, climb the tree to an unsafe height. Uh, as a kid, I love to do that. As an adult now, I'm like, what are you doing? Um, but that's, it came from that. And it's, uh, it just, when I read about gardening in, in Genesis chapter 2, I was reminded of some of these parables that Jesus would tell. One is in uh, chapter 13, where it says, he told another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all the seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds can come and perch in its branches. Faith of a mustard seed. That's like the biggest cliche in all of like Christian culture. I hate cliches. But when I started to look up mustard seed, um, is this started to make a little more sense. Mustard seeds are about uh, four-tenths of an inch, which means that if you were to stack just mustard seeds all the way up to be as tall as me, it's about 1,700 mustard seeds. That gives you an idea how tiny these things are. And when you Google online the plants that come from these mustard seeds, they are pretty substantial. And so when I think of those mustard seeds and I think of the tree that was planted when I was 10 years old and how I narrowly almost took it down. I think about the fact that Jesus is saying here, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Essentially what Jesus is saying is it doesn't matter where you start. It doesn't matter your size when you get started or it doesn't matter where you came from. What matters is how you grow. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter how you looked 10 years ago, 20 years ago. That, to him, does not matter for your outcome. Your outcome is how you grow, how you're faithful, how he works in your lives. I just was moved by this because I know people in my life who I believe God's calling to do something, and they're like, yeah, but I can't do that. I... I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the background. If I had a dollar for every time someone said, I don't have the background to do that, it's like, well, you have the foreground, right? When you take the smallest seed and you put it in the ground, if that seed looked at itself, it'd be like, well, I can't make a tree that big. I'm just, I'm just this. I don't have that ability. Or maybe you think, well, this thing happened to me, and therefore I'm disqualified 
from being able to have that impact. I, I have this problem area in my background, so therefore God can't possibly use me in this way. And we limit ourselves. We choke ourselves off. I'm 73 years old. I'm 82 years old. I've lived a good life. I can't possibly go. I can't possibly do. I've got the limitations. I've got the pillboxes. I've got, I've got the pains in the morning. I've got the. I, we, you can make the list and say there are plenty of reasons why I can't. But God says this parable: the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It doesn't matter your background. It matters your foreground, and God decides your foreground. When I visit my parents, I see that tree, enormous, huge, people climbing on it, kids playing in the leaves. And I'm reminded that God's the one who grows us. And it's on us to be faithful. Are there things that you have to deal with right now that you feel inadequate or incompetent for? Are there things that God has called you to that you don't feel like you're enough. When I read the story of the mustard seed, I am reassured that God is saying to you today, you are enough. The faith of a mustard seed is cliche, but it's cliche for a reason. Because it's one of the strongest truths that Jesus ever speaks into his people's lives. That no matter your background, no matter where you came from, no matter what soil you're planted in, I can make you a ginormous tree. I can make you something that many people will be impacted by. If you follow me, if you're faithful, if you're able to not think of your background, but think about me as your foreground. Let's take a second and just... Let's meditate on that. What are the things that you're dealing with that you feel incompetent to, that you feel inadequate for? Are you hearing God speak into your life today? You are enough. You are enough. You are my child. I created you. You are enough. And whatever your background is, I am your foreground. Let's take a minute.
God, today we look to you for our calling and we rely on you for our strength. Lord, I ask today that if anyone's in this room and they feel like they don't measure up because of a mistake they've made in their past, because of some sort of background thing that they think is holding them back, God, would you make clear to them today that through your grace, they are your child and they are enough. May we have the faith of a mustard seed. And may our path and impact and love grow to the size of a great oak. Because you are our nourishment. You are our guide. You are our foreground. In your name we pray. Amen. Part two. We'll get back to Genesis 2. I told you we started in Genesis 2, and we'll probably finish in Genesis 2, but I keep going down these rabbit holes, and there's all these gardening. It turns out Jesus talks a lot about gardening. There's a lot of stuff about plants and crops and harvest, and it's like I, I couldn't narrow it down, so we just had to go all over the place. And right before Jesus tells the parable of the mustard seeds, he, he also tells this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them together in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into the barn. I got to tell you about my weekend. This Friday, uh, or two days ago, some people from Draw and I, we went down to Dayton, Ohio, where there was an F4 tornado about six months ago, and there were a ton of families that had been displaced that had been living in temporary housing, and the kids who lived with those families had lost basically everything that was in their home because of that tornado. And so one of the things we have the honor and really we're excited to do is we have local bike shops that will do donate new children's bikes that we will then take to those kids and give to them a few months after once they're settled so that they at least have that. And so we loaded up bikes. And um, in fact, the organizer in Dayton called me a couple days before and said, actually, there's a dad who needs transportation to and from work. Uh, do you have any adult bikes? And we didn't. And so we used the Facebooks for what the Facebooks are for. And I put it out online. I said, guys, there's a dad who needs a bike. And it costs about 500 bucks for a good bike that's going to be used for transportation. Anybody want to chip in? And I woke up the next morning. We were at 625, of course, because God provides through us. So we went and we uh, picked up the bike and we went down and we delivered these. And like one family had nine kids. And so we showed up at their house and it was a madhouse. It was crazy. It was, the mom was futilely trying to tell the kids, don't ride in the streets while seven of them went down the street. It was, uh, it was kind of fun, right? But at the end of it, it was nine o'clock at night and we had a four hour drive home from Dayton. So we got home around 1 a.m. Uh, I am not a night person. I do not like staying up till 1 a.m. 
I was pretty tired. We had to get up the next morning. The next morning, we had a volunteer group at Draw's Warehouse. And so uh, I had to get there for that. I had to drop the trailer. And then uh, we had a musician at the coffee shop, our coffee shop, the coffee bucket, from noon to two yesterday. And so I had to set up sound equipment in the coffee shop. So as soon as the volunteer group was done, I went over to the coffee shop. The musician came and they, they played. And it was a, it was, she was awesome. She's one of the people that's going to be part of the show on December 22nd. The show gets over. I immediately have to get in my car because I'm booked to be a DJ of a wedding at the Packard Proving Grounds in Sterling Heights. You guys know where the Packard Proving Grounds is? About, it's probably about a 40-minute 40, 40 drive from uh, the coffee shop. And so I get in my truck, and I've got my suit in the truck, and I've loaded in the morning. I had loaded up all my gear. I drive to the Packard Proving Grounds, and I'm supposed to set up for the ceremony, which is at 5 p.m., and the reception in two separate buildings. And when I got there, I realized that the mic stand that I had brought in for our musician to use at the coffee shop was the mic stand that the officiant at the wedding was supposed to use for the ceremony. I got to Packard at 3 o'clock. The ceremony's at 5 o'clock, and I don't have a mic stand. And I asked, local, I asked the venue, do you guys have a mic stand? They said they do not. And so it occurred to me very quickly, I have to go home and get the mic stand. And... It's a 40-minute drive home, and I have to have this all set up, and I have to have a suit on by like 4.45 when people start to show up. And so I unload an entire PA, and in record time, set this PA up in about 15 minutes, got it all checked. I set up everything in the ceremony room. It was Everything was good. I started the music, the entrance, you know, the music for when people walk in, because I didn't know if I was going to be back in time for the time when people started to walk in. I got in my truck. I called my wife who wasn't even home. I said, is there any way you can meet me part of the way so that way I don't have to drive all the way back? And she says, okay. So she made me. She, so it was about a 30-minute drive. You were driving the speed limit. <laughs> Took me 20-something. I meet my wife at a weird driveway. We basically hand off the mic stand through our cars like a baton. I get back on the highway. I drive 20-some minutes. Again, and uh, I get there, and the entrance to Packard is blocked off. And it's and I got back, and it's like 4:25, and I'm in jeans and flannel, and there's no mic stand, and the ceremony starts at five o'clock, and I have to pull off and quickly look on the map to see how to get in the back way to Packard Proving Grounds. I do that, I get in, I pull in where the vendors are, I sprint in. People have already, people were very early. This was a wedding. People were excited to be at, I guess. Because they were there super early, and so I, so here comes Flannel Man running down, to, you know, Al Borland to put the mic stand up. I get that it's 4:43. I run back out to my truck. I run in the bathroom. I don't know how long it takes you to put a suit on. It took me not very long. Um, I missed a belt loop. Uh, I found that out an hour later. No big deal. Um, but I get into the ceremony at about 4:56. But as I get there. The videographer walks up to me and says, hey, you got the microphone up there. That's great. Uh, they need two microphones. I'm like, well, they can need whatever they wouldn't need. I don't have a second microphone. I'm sorry. And so I meet with the officiant. We quickly work out a system so that way uh, everything can be used mic-wise mic for the ceremony. The ceremony comes off. It's great. It's fine. No one would have known the difference. No one would have known that I was sweating buckets underneath my suit that my uh, flannel had been wadded up and thrown into my stand bag. Like, nobody would have known any of that stuff. And so then I take that stuff down. I go into 
uh, Packard. There was supposed to be a bunch of outdoor pictures. Do you remember the temperature last night? Yeah, and the women were wearing like you know spaghetti strap dresses, and so that didn't work out well. Uh, we do the introductions. The couple and the bridal party come in. They're supposed to cut the cake. And every other table has uh, a centerpiece that's like a vase that's probably that high. That's like probably three quarters filled with water and then flowers are coming out. You've seen these at weddings before, right? And there's a table right next to the dance floor. And the couple's supposed to cut their cake and come do the first dance. And they're just about finished cutting their cake. And they're about to turn around. And whoever's sitting at that table dumped the entire centerpiece, broke glass everywhere, all over the floor. And so I turned to the couple, I'm like, let's, let's stall for a little bit here. And so there's some awkward silence as, as uh, staff come in. But the packer doesn't have staff, so it's really just friends are like cleaning up glass with their hands, probably not safe in any way. And then we introduce the first dance, and my music doesn't start, and I don't know why. And it's like they, the couple looks at me, and I'm like, ah. It takes about 20 seconds. I figure it out. The music finally starts. First dance. It's beautiful. Picture's taken. And they go and they sit down. And I'm about to do speeches, and the videographer has decided that, uh, unbeknownst to me, that the speeches are going to be in a different spot. So I walk over to a spot to introduce somebody, and they have to walk somewhere else. And it was just kind of a cluster. And then there was dinner. And then the music, uh, we had special dances at like 8.45. And the people danced till about 11 o'clock. At one point, uh, there was a fender bender in the parking lot. Someone was pulling out early, and it was dark and not well lit. It was a cluster. And we did the last song, and they wanted to sing along on the last song. And so I, but they said, no, no journey, no, don't stop believing, which is like my go-to sing-along at the end of a wedding. And I said, okay. And I was thinking maybe Sweet Caroline by Neil Diamond. They're like, no, no, Sweet Caroline. I'm like, ah, you guys are taking all my go-tos. And so I go, they're like, give me queen. And so I play Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> Classic wedding song. Everyone comes out to the floor. Every, I mean, 150 people come out to the dance floor. And at one point in Bohemian Rhapsody, it was a, it was a choir concert. They were singing at the top of their lungs. Everyone with the couple in the middle dancing like fools. To get done... And I'm like, I'm just ready to get out of there. I knew I got to be here this morning and preach uh, three sermons. And uh, I, so I was just getting stuff ready. And the uh, bride comes up as I'm putting stuff in my truck. And she says, I just want you to know, that was the most amazing night. That night, that was incredible. Everyone has said, and I couldn't be more thankful for everybody who was a part of this night. And in my head, I'm like, that? That was the most incredible night? Are you crazy? When Jesus tells the parable of the good crop that's surrounded by weeds, what's interesting to me is they said, do you want us to pull them up, the weeds? And the farmer says, no, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the weeds together. Let both grow together until the harvest. Sometimes in your growth, you are going to be surrounded by weeds. Some of you are surrounded by weeds right now. 
Thanksgiving is coming, which is stereotypically a family gathering holiday. And while that should be a joyous occasion, for many of you, that is a trigger. If my mom brings up that thing one more time, I am going to lose it. If my kid does this thing and acts entitled one more time, I don't know what I'm going to do. Everyone's that it, Thanksgiving should be turkey and blood pressure medicine is what it should be for so many of us. But the truth that Jesus brings to us in the parable is that whilst we grow, we will be surrounded by weeds. That can happen. And if that happens, the weeds aren't going away. They're not going to be pulled up. That's what the parable says. And so, sometimes we need God's strength in the midst of that. Sometimes we need to know the presence of God whilst we grow amongst the weeds. Because in that, we can show love and patience. Because your kid or your mom is not a weed. It's just that's how you see them. And if you can ask God to open your eyes, maybe you'll stop seeing them as weeds and see them as just a different crop. If I can carry the analogy out that far. Do you need God to open your eyes this week? Are you prepared? Or are you thinking, I'm about to be triggered this week by that one family member that I just can't take? This week, you need a supernatural presence of the love of God in your life. If that's the case, then in this gap, maybe this is the time you pray for that family member or those family members or just your family in general. Maybe you need to pray for your own patience or how can I ask for forgiveness or how can I build this bridge? Jesus didn't come to come and judge. He came to love. If we're going to follow in his footsteps, maybe we need to stop seeing our family as weeds and see us all as crops. So let's take a minute. Let's meditate on the need for God's presence and patience and love as we go into this holiday season. Let's pray.
God, we admit that sometimes we need a supernatural presence when we're trying to love the people who are closest to us. We need a supernatural patience when we're with someone who we have a past with, when we have a history with them. Lord, help us to offer forgiveness when that's what's required. Help us to ask for forgiveness when that's what's required. Help us to not see the people around us as weeds. We know there's going to be struggles around us, God, but may we love those people the way you love them. May we be a model of your love, of your hope. Lord, mold us this holiday season to be more like you. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Two sermons in. You guys good? All right. I heard three people say yes. Okay. I promised I'd start in Genesis 2. I did start there. We're going to end there. It's a little longer, so I'm going to put it up on the screen and read this account. This is the second account of the creation story starting in verse uh, 5 of chapter 2. It says, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put a man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden uh, were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm going to skip over the, I'll just read through it fast. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first was Pishan. It it winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic, resin, onyx, and also there. The name of the second river is uh, Gahan. It winds through the entire land of Cush. These are fun names. Verse 14, the name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Here's where it gets me. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. There are two pieces of this gardening that really gets me. I, I have a, an acquaintance that I met this, this week that uh, in the middle of his life, he was, he's been widowed, and so he quit his job and became a farmer, which is quite the transition. Farming life is something else, and I had a million questions about how he went about it. He's been doing it for the year. How did the first season go? He said he's buried two tractors in the first year, which is basically taking a tractor and going into uh, land that's too wet and it sinks. And I'm like, how do you do? How do you get that out? He's like, you got to get a bigger tractor. I'm like, okay. So things you learn in the farm. But when I read through this second creation story, the two things that stood out were one: God 
did not create the garden with all of the trees and everything existing. It says that nothing had grown yet. Did you catch that at the beginning? Now God had planted a garden in the east and Eden. There he put man he formed. Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of it. But up to that, up to that point, there was nothing had grown out of it. He had planted, yes, but things had not grown yet. And when he created man, he then, verse 15, put man in it. He said, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. When God creates something amazing, he invites us along to be a part of it. And he gives us responsibility and share in it. When you are called to something that, by God, to do something big, it's not because, uh, it's not out of duty, it's not to show off, it's because he wants to do it with you. Could God do the things he's calling you to by himself or without you? Sure, he doesn't want to. He wants us to be a part, co-laborers in the growing of the garden. He gives us a job and we get to help form it. And those trees came because of the maintenance of Adam. This is like one verse, but like how long does it take to grow an entire garden and manage and prune and pull, you know, if there's weeds that need to be pulled or whatever it has to be done, he's doing it. Some of you garden at home. And you get in there, and I've heard of people say when they garden that, like, there's something spiritual about getting your hands in the dirt. Like, you're connected to creation, right? Like, you're in there. And you got to take a long shower after the fact, but you're, like, connected. It's because we're wired that way, because God created man from the ground. He says, help me manage the ground. To this day, we are responsible managers of God's creation. Now, as all of humanity, we're not doing the greatest job in the world. But that's what we're put in charge of. You are stewards of this planet. And so he gives us this job. But then the other part that caught me, it caught me funny this time. I've heard this a million times, and so have you. I'm going to read it again. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Now, spoiler alert, he ate from the tree that he wasn't supposed to. We all are on board with that part of the story, right? We know that a chapter later, spoiler, he eats the one thing he's not allowed to. Now, here's the picture I want to paint. Adam is put into the garden with so many different types of trees and shrubs. There's fig trees. There's banana trees, there's apple trees, there's cherry trees, there's pear trees, there's shrubs, there's vines. There's all kinds of stuff that he has access to, and God wants him to manage it and enjoy it. And he says, except for this one tree that you must not partake of. And if you do, you will certainly die. Here's what got me. I believe that we have an enemy. And I believe that enemy wants us to focus on the thing we can't have. I believe the enemy wants us to focus on the thing that brings us down, that we cannot enjoy. And it is a true fact of life that if I do a sermon on Sunday morning and nine of you come up and say, great sermon today, and one of you come up and say, eh, that was a little lacking. What am I going to think about on the way home? I'm going to... I'm gonna, 
I, I'm not going to be able to get it out of my head. The one kind of criticism will stick with me. What did they mean? What were they trying to say? I did a better job than they said. I, right? I get defensive because I'm focusing on the one thing that the enemy wants me to pay attention to. Meanwhile, God has given me all this other stuff to focus on, all this other land and garden to enjoy. It's all yours. Manage it. You have been blessed beyond measure. And the enemy wants me to go, yeah, but what about this thing? This Thanksgiving fits in pretty nicely with Genesis chapter 2. Because we do a great job focusing on, on the 1 out of 10, right? We do a great job focusing on the one tree we can't eat from. Or the one bill that's keeping us down. Or the struggle that we have. Now, some of us have multiple, multiple struggles. But even in the light of all that God has given to you and provided for you and allowed you to have and do, it's a smaller thing. It doesn't mean that your struggles aren't real or that they're not hard. It means that God's blessings massively outweigh the thing that the enemy wants you to pay attention to. And that when we open our eyes to all that God has offered to us, we start to live the kind of life that God's called us to. Love, joy, peace, patience. We just went through that last week. When we see all the abundance, and that's what we focus on, rather than what the enemy wants us to focus on, we start to live the way God calls us to live. What's, what's your tree? What's the tree you can't have? Even some of the trees you can't have, even some of the struggles that you have, I love there was a Stephen Colbert interview recently that probably some of you saw where he said that uh, the greatest pains that he's gone through are a blessing and he's thankful for them. He had lost his mom. And in the interview, he was like, when you go through that and you go through that pain, it makes you more human and more able to have empathy and more able to love and therefore can better connect with other humans. And I was like, that'll preach from Stephen Colbert. Right? But we can focus on the tree we can't have or the pain that holds us back or the things we can't do. Meanwhile, God's like, I gave you the whole garden. If you can focus on what I've offered to you, you will live the life worthy of that calling. What's your tree? Today. If you're going to journal... This is the thing to write down. Let's name the thing that the enemy wants you to focus on and then get rid of it. Not get rid of it, but, you know, focus on all the rest of the blessings that God has provided for you. Let's name the thing that the enemy wants you to pay attention to. Because when you do, when you name it, you take its power away. And when you take its power away, you start to open your eyes to everything else. You are loved. You are surrounded by a community that loves you. You have another day to put breath in your lungs to praise the God that gave you all the stuff around you. Don't focus on the one tree. Don't focus on the thing the enemy wants you to focus on because when you focus on all the rest, you will see that our God is good. You will know that our God is good. So let's take a minute or two. This will be the last meditation time. But if you're going to write something down, if you're going to type something on your phone, if you're going to just focus on something, 
let's name the thing that the enemy wants you to pay attention to and then look at all that God has provided for you. And in that, I think we'll find the spirit of thanksgiving. I think we'll find that our God is big and worthy to be praised. Let's pray. God, today would you open our eyes, open our eyes to the blessings that you have surrounded us with. Help us see all of the trees that you've given to us to enjoy. Help us to not be brought down by one thing, the one thing we can't have because we know that you've provided so much more. And Lord, if we live thankful, then people will see that. Our testimony becomes real because we're honestly talking about what a good God you are. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for your son. Thank you, God. Amen.